Greetings, relatives. My name is Melissa Nelson, and I'm your host and gardener of the Native Seed Podcast. Welcome to the Native Seed Pod, a podcast aimed at celebrating the diversity and beauty of native seeds, soils, and indigenous foods. Welcome back to season two of the Native Seed Pod. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah, and I have the honor of being the producer of this extraordinary podcast series. We return with part two of our time with Redbird, Mr. Ed Willie. And Melissa, this is actually a format that's a little new for us, or I would say a little outside of the normal podcast world. Yes, Sarah, it's so true. Um, Usually I've had the great fortune of conducting live interviews with folks in the field and hotel rooms at conferences. And this episode focuses on a particular teaching by Redbird outside uh, at a beautiful location. And so it's a complete teaching from him, more like a lecture presentation, but really in the Indian storytelling tradition. And uh, the person who did this recording, Teo Montoya, one of our wonderful podcast and cultural conservancy teammates, actually did the recording live there. And we have him in the studio with us to share a little bit about his experience in this upcoming episode. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Melissa. Um, Well, first, just over the last year of working with the Cultural Conservancy, I have been so fortunate to meet so many local knowledge holders. And uh, Ed Willie, or Redbird, is one of the first that I actually met here. So this talk was recorded at the Indian Valley Organic Farm and Garden, our partners there in Nevada, California, um, during our annual spring planting day. And at this time, fresh on many people's minds was in Northern California was fire. Yeah, (sighs) absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so Ed's prowess as a California ecologist and traditional knowledge holder was clearly on display at this event. Um, I remember actually dropping the mic a few times because I was just so engrossed (laughs) in what he was saying. So I'm really excited for everybody to take in this teaching and sit with it and, and learn what it has to say to us. Thank you. Thank you so much for being part of this team, Teo. And as we continue to expand this wonderful podcast, you'll be hearing different voices from our team as we expand and grow. And thank you for this. And let's listen to Redbird. I'm going to be talking about just uh, native plants and the native, uh, native way of being on the land and just things that we did. And hopefully... I'm going to talk about that a little bit, just a broad view of, of how, how it was here. But first, I'm just going to give a broad overview about California, uh, what's been going on here, what has been going on here for a long time, up until, you know, the modern times. Uh, people have been in California for a long time. They've been, they've been here, existing here, flourishing here for thousands of years. In, in this part of California, or all over California. And what had happened over the course of so many thousands of years is a lot of people have been coming to California. 
just just for all the all of this time. It hasn't. It's not just a, a new thing, you know, to go to California. I know a lot of people here. You you probably say your home is, you know, somewhere else, far away, New Jersey or Minnesota or whatever. So people have been coming from all over here to California, just like that, just like we do in modern times. How everybody been, everybody has been coming here. That's been going on for a long, long time. And not just people, animals, plants. Everything has been working its way toward California, and it, so it's so so it's gotten to this point where California is just is this rich, diverse uh, ecology or ecosystem. It's it's called a, a biological hotspot. This part of California, because usually those um, biologists will pick out a hotspot, uh, and most of them are along the equator in the rainforest or all the big ones are in those type of spots. But in continental U.S., there's only one spot, and it's right here in California, biological hotspot. So there's all these plants here, just a rich diversity of plants. So all these plants are coming here, all these uh, animals are coming here, and all these people are coming here. So what they've had to do and what, what they've had to learn and the way they've had to evolve is to, is to be together, live together, and flourish together, all those different things. In modern times, we think that when diversity comes together, there's conflict. But that doesn't know it. That doesn't have to be the, the case. All these diversity can come together and be and be a good thing. And and California was a place where uh, there was a perfect example of that. It wasn't it wasn't uh, it wasn't perfect, but it, it was it was good. The things that were going on in here. So all these different all these different tribes lived here in California. It just so close together, and just like each each valley was a different tribe, different language, and different people, different culture in 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 each valley as they moved along. The Europeans came and grouped people together, like the Coast Miwoks here. They came and decided, okay, you guys are all one tribe. They didn't consider themselves one tribe. There there was a lot of different people here and speaking different languages, but they. They just said that they were the same language because they had similar language. It would, it would be like us going to Europe and saying the Spanish and the French and the Italians, you're all one people because you have a similar language. And that's what it was like here when the people came, or when the uh, Europeans came and put all the Coast Miwoks together and put all the Pomos together. They, they, didn't, they didn't consider themselves being together. But anyway, that happened. So they were so diverse and they were doing all doing a lot of different things, having each of them having their own culture and their own ways of being. And, and they, it was celebrated. That, the, uh, that diversity was celebrated. Everybody, everybody got along and everybody did, uh, everybody did good things. One example that, that I always give of that is the, uh, up north in the northern part of California, there's these three tribes, so there's more than three, there's three main tribes, but there's more than that, that do a similar dance, and it's called the, um, it's an it's a earth renewal dance, and they come together and they celebrate, and the, one of the main parts of that dance is they have to go to the center of the world to dance, and so they they go to this one spot, and this one, one, one of the tribes will, will be doing their dance, and and they'll invite these other tribes that are similar to them to come to to their to do the dance there at their at the center of the world, and everybody will come and accept that as the center of the world, 
and they'll do that dance, they'll do their earth renewal dance. And then the neighboring tribe, they have the same dance. With, but, they, but their center of the world is a different spot. It's over there on their land. So everybody will come to that spot, you know, the next year or, the, or a little time late, a little bit later, they'll come and do that same dance again. And everybody will accept that as the center of the world, All, even those other people that had their center of the world over there. But for that dance at that time, that's the center of the world for everybody. And then the third tribe, they have theirs and everybody goes there and does that. So that, that's, a, uh, that's a, my favorite example of how diversity was celebrated and, and, and accepted. Instead of fighting, you know, we, we all know certain other parts of the world where people fight over this, the sacred land, you know, then that's our sacred land. No, that's our sacred land. And it doesn't have to be like that. There was so much diversity here in California. What they ended up having to do is they had to learn how to uh, cultivate that and how to rejuvenate it and how to keep it, keep it that way. So over the course of thousands of years, California Indians learned how to work that diversity, work, work how to uh, make California work for them and work, work for everybody else, work for all the plants. And so what they ended up doing was they, they ended up coming with a way of taking care of the land where the diversity was uh, cultivated and, and, and taken care of. So they did all these different things to, to take care of the land and, and to make keep it that way. And, and, to, and it's, it's, a, uh, it's a complicated thing. The, the, the manual for taking care of California is a big, thick manual, but there, but there is one. It, it, I mean, not physically, but, you know, in our heads, it's there. And I can't talk about all of that right now today, but I'm going to talk about pieces of it, pieces of that manual of how to take care of California. So what they were able to do was they, they, they were able to take care of the land to a point where it could support a large population, large populations, because each one of these valleys was fill, filled with people in, in the old days. What, what ethnographers say is that this part of California, Northern California, had the densest population in history that didn't have con conventional agriculture. Because most of the places now in nowadays and in history, big populations were able to develop, to uh, develop because of conventional agriculture that gave us that extra resource that so that so that um, populations could uh, get get overly large. <laughs> so, um, and, and some people will say that it, it's not good, that's not a good thing for that to happen because it's like a, a, a false, a false thing that's, that's supporting it, supporting that population. But in California, they were able to get a large population without doing that, just by managing the land and by take care the, caring, taking care of the land in a certain way, they were able to uh, get a really large population and get some, call, some people call it industrial outputs. I don't like that word, but, you know, because we don't really want industrial outputs, <laughs> industrial activity, but they were able to get industrial output, outputs out of the land just, just by doing it in these certain ways, all these different things. So I'm gonna tell you some of the, some of the ways that they were uh, taking care of the land, what, some of the ways that they were able to do that. But first, I'm going to say that uh, they weren't just doing it by themselves either. You know, it's just not like what I was what I was saying earlier. It's just not about us. 
It's all of the other animals and all the other plants and all, all of the other insects and everything, they were all helping to, helping to make the land the way it was. Like beavers, for example. Well, beavers were, were a big part of the uh, natural environment, doing their thing and making our water systems healthy. Uh, what else? The ungulates were there doing their thing. They're there, they had a large effect on the land. The salmon, the salmon, the bear. They're all, they're all, they were all what you call keystone species, meaning they, they had a big effect on the land and the things that they were doing to the land. Largest keystone species, of course, is us. We're the ones that have the biggest effect on the land, <coughs> good or bad. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you some of the things that they were doing, that uh, people were doing. What we learned or what they learned that the way California is the health healthiest is through uh, something called mild disturbance. And that's, that's when you, only a certain amount of um, energy is put on the land, and it's called mild disturbance. Extreme disturbance would be uh, a flood or earthquake. Or, you know, something, storms, and that's extreme. Uh, mild disturbance is when you're just going on the land and just doing small things. You're not, you're not taking out the trees or you're not uh, taking things out or wiping things out. What the California Indians did were, was do a thing called mild disturbance. And all, all the types of mild disturbance would be uh, like digging bulbs. going out and digging bulbs for food, you know, getting the little potato-like things and eating those. And so they would have big fields of different plants, a lot of different plants that they were eating the bulbs from. California Indians used to be called the diggers. It was kind of like a, a derogatory term that the uh, pioneers used for the California Indians because they were always digging. But now we're proud of that, you know, we're proud of that. That's what we were, that's what we did. We, were, we had our hands in the ground, we were farmers. Uh, cultivators because there were so many different plants that we were using and, and taking advantage of and helping and helping out um, that, that were in the ground under the ground not only food but our basket plants and other plants too medicinal plants that we were digging under the ground so you if you imagine like we have a village here in this valley and they're doing all those things and they're digging in the ground everywhere that's, that's cultivated, they're cultivating the land, they're keeping the soil healthy. And, you know, a large tribe, they, they can do a lot. And they were so, so good at cultivating the plants that um, uh, decades later, or, you know, half a century later, those patches are still there that they were managing. They're still there, like we don't see them with our untrained eye, we can't see them, but a person with a trained eye can, say, oh, can go out there and look, oh, this is an old patch that was uh, cultivated many years ago, and then now these days there's just traces of it here and there. So they were doing that. They were digging. Another thing they were doing is coppicing, cu cutting the cutting the plants. Coppicing is when you 
cut a plant all the way to the ground or nearly to the ground, and that forces the plant to do certain things depending on what they wanted, wanted from that plant. They could uh, composite in a certain way to make it do certain things. And so that regenerates the plant, that regenerates the landscape. And it, on these things that they're doing, it's, it's, it's affecting uh, a lot, not just the plant, it's affecting the ecosystem that they're in, it's affecting the plants, it's affecting the animals and the insects too. And they had to pay attention to all that. There's so much to pay, pay attention to when they're doing this. So many things, to, so many factors involved. And they would sit around and talk, you know, okay, well, what are we gonna do here to this year? How are we gonna do it this year? Cause if we cut it back, you know, a plant, so it's this tall, it's gonna do one thing, so I have to think about that. Do we need that this year? Or should we wait till next year? Or do they cut it all the way to the ground this year? And then that'll be a whole different thing. And they have to talk to the different people. This is the cultural aspect of it like the basket weavers. Okay, let's talk to the basket weavers. What should we do to this plant this year for depending on what type of basket they want? Or talk to the hunters, the men, you know, what, how is that gonna affect their hunting if we cut this down? So every time they did anything, they had to get together and talk. And it was just an ongoing discussion they were having all the time about the uh, land. Another thing they're doing is uh, seeding. You know, that's an important thing for today seeding, They're, they were always uh, seeding their plants. They knew when to uh, gather the seeds. Seeds was a really important part of uh, the native diet here in California. Uh, uh, maybe hundreds, hundreds of seeds, the different different plants that they were, that they were using throughout California. Maybe in one, in one uh, location, 50, 70 plants they were using for seeds and, and taking care of all those seeds. So they had to do a lot of different things with those seeds. And one of the things they were doing was collecting them to spread them out again. And they weren't, they weren't doing conventional agriculture where they're planting them in rows or anything. They're just saying, okay, this plant grows good here. Let's spread some more over here, just spread it around. And then, then, and then not just spreading it for the other plants either. I mean, not just spreading it for, the, for themselves, but spreading it for the animals too. And then one of the most important uh, ways of taking care of the land that was used a lot was fire prescribed burning. It was such an important part of, uh, of, of in their toolbox, one of the important tools in their toolbox. Because something, California is a fire ecology. It's, a, it's designed to burn. It's, it's, it's not something we're ever gonna stop. You know, a lot of, of forest people in Cal Fire, maybe not so much Cal Fire anymore. A lot of people for so long thought that our job was to stop fire. Like, it, and, and they always felt like it was a, a doable thing, but it's just, but it's not. California is designed to burn. We're never gonna, we're not gonna stop that anytime soon. So the California Indians learned, learned that right away and learned to work with it, learned to, to uh, roll with that and uh, make it work for them. So what they were able to do is um, keep things burned, keep things wide open. When the, when the first settlers came to California, that a lot of, in their, they wrote in their journals, and a lot of their f comments were talking about how California was looked like a park, a well-managed park. Everywhere they went in California, they were saying that well-managed park. And, and one of their big um, 
tools to make that happen was fire, just doing fires all the time. They would come here, and if they came here and looked on that hillside, uh, old California Indian, they would say, wow, where's the people? Who's taking care of this land? How come nobody's taking care of it anymore? Like us people, we go up there and we think, oh, wow, beautiful, look at that, all that green and everything. Mm. But that's, that's, not, that's not what California is supposed to look like. <laughs> um, we need to get a fire up there. <laughs> Burn some of that back, clean clean it out. The Native Seed Pod is produced by the Cultural Conservancy with generous support by Tamil Pius Trust. To contribute to our polyculture and to find out more information, please visit us at nativeseedpod.org or nativeland.org. So what fire does, fire does so many different things to, to the land. And, and, it, and it's, it's a tool that you need experience with. It takes a lot of experience to use it the right way. And you, you get to the point where you can you do it, use it uh, in a surgical way, using it at just the right times and just the freak, right amount of right frequency. And you can make it do whatever you want. So what does it do? Uh, uh, one of the main things that it, that it does is, is, is it, pr- it promotes diversity. If, if there's no fire, then certain plants, the uh, aggressive plants come in and take over. People say it's the invasive, but it's not the invasive, it's the aggressive plants. Because we had aggressive plants before these other plants came to, came, came along. There's always been those in- invasive, uh, aggressive plants in, in the environment. And fire is one of the ways that holds them back and keeps them in check so that the other more delicate plants and the, uh, that, that we want to grow everywhere, we've got to give them a chance. What fire does is levels the playing field and puts it back to uh, ground or the uh, ground level or base level uh, so that all the other plants can have a chance to grow when, when they want, where they want to. And usually the uh, Delicate plants are the medicinal herbs and all, all of these special plants that we need. Another thing that they that uh, California Indians were doing was where they were suspending succession. Succession is where is um, the process that an ecosystem goes through, like the a tree a tree seedling will drop in the ground and grow over the course of 20 years, then a fire will come along 20 or 30 years later, burn the tree down, and then, then it'll start all over. That Those, those seeds will be uh, germinated by the fire because they live in a California fire ecology and they need fire to germinate. And it'll start all over again. The whole process will start all over again. And that's succession, that's called succession. And all, all ecosystems do that, go through succession. And so, um, what we learned was that there's certain stages within that succession where it's the most beneficial for humans or most beneficial for the environment. So we figured out where those stages were and a suspended succession in those stages. And one of the ways of doing that is with fire. 
is to keep it keep it in a certain at a certain stage. And one of the stage that we found here in this part of California that is most beneficial is um, the mixed deciduous um, hardwood forest. That's that's what we want. It's, in other words, it's the acorn forest where the acorn is the primary. Uh, uh, or the keystone uh, species in, in that environment. So everything is geared toward uh, having a large legacy type uh, oak tree in the environment, and then which is the additional plants that are that are around that are uh, useful around it. And everything else is kind of kept kept at bay through fire and cultivating and 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 coppicing and trimming and pruning. Oh, yeah, I'm still talking, trying, just keep trying to tell you about uh, what fire does. <laughs> Another thing that it does is it recycles nutrients in, back into the ground. It uh, sequesters carbon in, in, in the ground. They find uh, burnt trees as, as in uh, charcoals and you know just the little black remnants of, of burnt uh, biomass as, as far as three feet underground here in California. That's, that's, that's just what happens. It burns and then it get, goes, works its way underground. So that's the carbon sequestration part of it. Like I said before, um, we've, we've, we've evolved, or, fire, or plants have evolved to live in California. So there's so many plants in California that need fire to uh, go through their life process. Namely, they need uh, fire to uh, to germinate, and then there's like the giant. As an example, there's the giant sequoia, which drops. I don't know if you've ever seen their pine cone for the sequoia. It's just this solid little rock thing that falls from the tree. It's uh, it's the pine cone, but it's just it's solid, and uh, it, you can't even open it up to get the seeds. But the way it opens up is through fire fire will uh, sweep through the land and then it'll, it'll open up and, and then all the conditions are just right. If the fire comes at, right, at the right time, all the conditions will be just right for the seeds to germinate. Plus they need that little uh, scarification from the fire. Uh, and so what has happened, and like f for that tree, we've lost generations of the giant sequoia because of our s fire suppression. We haven't, haven't had the fires around there, so we've, um, we've lost that. The big fires were heading up to the sequoias recently and everybody was starting to panic. Oh no, that's, they're gonna burn the giant sequoias. <laughs> and I'm thinking that they've been around for a while and they've been through a few fires. <laughs> and they, I was sorry, I was kind of hoping for, oh boy, fires around the giant sequoia. <laughs> I wanted it to happen. I wanted to see it. <laughs> the animals are, when I was first learning about fire, one of the things that really convinced me that it was the right thing was to see the animal responses to fire. Um, they like it. They know just exactly what to do, all, all of the anim animals in this area. They've, they've, like I've said before, California has evolved with this uh, with this ecology and animals do, they, they're waiting for fire to happen. 
and all of the animals. They're, they're wondering, you know, how come we're not doing fires anymore? As soon as a fire does happen, they, they all show up. This, they did this one study, um, wasn't in California, but a little bit north, um, where there was a fire and the uh, bird people were studying how many birds were in the fire zone. And they, they found that 80 different birds showed up, new birds that weren't there before, showed up after the fire to be in that burned area to do all the things that, that, that need to be done there. Yeah, the, anim the animals like it. What happens today is everybody immediately wants to go and remediate after a fire. Oh, let's go plant, let's go do this, let's go do that, let's take out all that burnt wood or just all these different things. But that's wrong, you know. The, the uh, part of it's part of that succession idea. Things have to go through a process, and when 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 an area is burned, there's a whole process that needs to be uh, gone through. Um, and and each each of those steps is vital. Each each of those steps needs to happen. We can't skip them. Like the first thing that happens after fire is the uh, the molds and the fungus move in and take over. Like if you go to the uh, burnt out trees, you see them covered, like I, I've been visiting a, a lot of these recent fires, and one of the first things that happened was the, the burnt out stems got covered with this orange mold. So that's one, one of the things that happens. And then, and then that brings in the next step, to, step after that is the insects. The insects come in, and then the insects bring the birds, and then that, that's why the birds come in, to, to get all of those insects. And there's a bird in California called the uh, black-backed uh, woodpecker, and it, need, it needs fire. It's, that's where it's gonna make its home. It's, so it's, and you don't, we don't know where they are, what? Woodpecker. And when it's up against a black tree, you can't see it. But all the other time when there's no fire around, you can see it. it it's, just, it's just waiting for that fire thing to happen so it could go high and be in its natural environment. And there's so many animals like that, that in California that, that are just waiting for those fires to happen. Uh, not just animals, but plants and insects, and they're, they're all waiting for that. Um, I'm just gonna jump ahead to some, some other things now. <laughs> there's that, so there's fire. Fire's a really good thing. We, we want it to happen. And, uh, I've been trying to get a fire to happen. We, there's this place in Santa Rosa, a dogbane patch, and it, it's it's an ancient, ancient dogbane patch that's been used for at least 10,000 years by the uh, native people. Um, dogbane, this is dogbane here. It's an important plant. It's a fiber plant. You make fi fiber and cordage out of it. So there's this patch there in a and it's still there, and so it, over the it used to be miles wide, it, it was, and it was just putting out so much. Uh, at one point, it was putting out so much dogbane that that was one of those places that was putting out industrial outputs of dogbane, and people were just built making cordage, and you know miles and miles of cordage was was coming out of there. People would make um, hunting nets, like big long hunting nets that took sixty thousand stalks, sixty thousand of these stalks were coming out of there. And that was just one family, one net. So that's just an example of uh, how, how the environment was taken care of to, to, so that it could take care of us. Um, so we have that patch there. It's, given, it's been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, getting smaller. Now it's just a couple of acres, but it got to the point where uh, land paths or just the county 
uh, infrastructure decided to come in and uh, take care of it too, and it be, and it became a um, uh, a cultural site that's that's saved, preserved, cultural preserve site just because of the dog bean that's there. So now it's there, and and people use it. Native people use it, and people who are learning uh, ancient skills go there and use it. And Where did you say it was? Santa Rosa, northern part of Santa Rosa. So, what? Well, I'm getting to that. <laughs> so for for so many years, I was trying to get a fire there. I've been trying, wanting it to burn because it's just been getting so choked just by all of the other aggressive plants moving in and trees moving in and uh, and a few times I got it to the point where it's, oh, okay we're gonna fire but then the night before somebody higher up in the county nixed in and said no no they just panic and we're out there Indians starting fires and so it never happened until the Santa Rosa fire came and burned through it it was the, it's at the spot where the fire jumped the freeway, jumped 101. That right there is where the dog bean patch is. And um, so what that tells us is, or what that tells me is that that dog bane patch was put there for a reason because fire, fire in California, fires in California are like, I call them fire geysers. There's, there's fires that shoot out every now and then in certain spots all the time over and over again. And that's one of the spots there. There's, there's been at least three recorded instances, instances in recent times of that fire happening. Same, same uh, footprint, same everything. Everybody says it's climate change and all that, but that same fire has been happening since at least 1870. The furthest I've gone back is 1870, where that exact same fire happened. It shoots out, of, shoots out from uh, Calistoga that same time of year. You know, the hot, after the um, hot summer and all, all of that. So, the, oh yeah, the reason California is a, is a fire ecology because, is because of all the rain we get and it, all this growth and then no rain. Like rain for six months and then no rain for six months. Uh, that's, that's a recipe for fire. So I get all, all of this growth and then it's all dried, it gets dried out and it's just tinder waiting to burn. And, and then the third factor is the hot winds coming from the desert, from Nevada. So what happens in the winter, uh, it starts to cool off along the coast, um, but it's still hot inland, so that brings in the wind. And then the wind, the, wind, the fuel, everything, all, all of the conditions to make fire in California. And so the, there's that fire geyser there in Santa Rosa. There's a lot more around. If you look at all the fires that we have in recent times, you go look in the history books and, and see those fires keep happening. There's also one here in Marin that hasn't burned for a while, a fire geyser. The last fire in Marin was, uh, it burned from Fairfax to Bellinas. And it's, it's all re ready to happen again. So, um, so that f fire happened again, and I, and right when the fire happened, I had to try really hard not to be happy <laughs> and celebrate because uh, it finally happened in that spot. But the thing about it is, when when we're doing fires, uh, we have to know the story of the area. We have to know 
what's there and what what we want out of it. And so, so we have to know um, when to do a fire. That's another important thing. And that fire was at the wrong time. That was the one thing about it. For as far as dog being, it was good. It was good. The land was happy. Everything was happy there. Uh, the, the animals were happy. The animals just immediately, you know, there's something in their DNA and something immediately clicks that okay, fire just happened. It's time to go do this or do that, and they just start going around, going around doing their post-fire routines. I heard a story once about uh, immediately after a prescribed burn, and there were some ashes, hot ashes laying laying around here and there. And a lizard came out and started rolling around in the ashes. California lizard. <laughs> so they know what to do. You know, he was waiting, waiting for that to happen. Wow, what a rich and powerful teaching from Redbird. It's such a privilege to sit in good circle with him. Melissa, I am struck by the time that we spent at the end of this teaching discussing the fire ecology of California and in particular these dog bane patches that are in the area. And if I remember correctly, this is a real nod in part two to the history of the Cultural Conservancy. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely, Sarah. Yes, I was so heartened to hear Redbird talk about the importance of dogbane again, because it is such a beautiful plant and really harder and harder to find as places get developed in California. This native plant needs water to grow. It's often called Indian hemp uh, because it is just a fiber plant that can be used for anything from string and cordage and rope and beautiful bags for weaving. And there's a very very important historic site up north of Santa Rosa, and it was 25 years ago, Sarah, 25 years ago that the California Indian Basket Weavers Association, SEBA, reached out to the Cultural Conservancy, uh, especially when we were working with one of our co-founders, Claire Cummings, an environmental attorney, and asked for assistance to help protect the site that was being threatened by a big housing project. Yeah, it's right off of Highway 1. 101 Mm -hmm. and of course prime real estate and it was getting threatened to be plowed over and paved over. But thanks to wonderful California Indian basket weavers, Kathy Wallace, L. Frank, Sage La Pena, Ed Willey, Many wonderful folks came out to say we must protect this site. And so thanks to the legal work of Claire Cummings, uh, we did a number of meetings and negotiations with the Sonoma County Open Space District and were able to get a cultural agricultural easement placed on the largest patch of dog bane. Wow. And so that site is permanently protected. Of course, we wanted it to be a much larger area. But it's there, a step. It's a step and there's still dog bane there. But as Ed Willie mentioned, it really needed to be burned mm. in order to flourish. And because it's adjacent to schools and housing and 
That's soccer fields. Very sensitive, I imagine. Yes. So prescribed burning or native cultural burning was not able to happen there. But ironically, these fires that we've had the last few years in the Sonoma County area burn that exact site, what Redbird calls a fire geyser. Mm. And so um, Mother Nature has a way of always uh, batting last or speaking last, and she's burned that site. And so now, um, all the basket weavers are very excited to see the quality of the dog bane that will come up next spring. What a powerful ongoing collaboration. And I can see how um, the importance of this story, you know, it's a reminder of the ongoing relevance of these teachings. What was true hundreds of years ago, bringing back now a conversation 25 years ago with the history of the TCC. And now again, here we are entering 2020 and facing this reality of the fire ecologies of California. And it seems to me, um, you know, these conversations could not be more poignant. So thank you to the Cultural Conservancy for all of the years of these good collaborations. And thank you again for, for the continuations of those circles and may we continue to dialogue about these important points. And may we continue to move forward um, in the best way we know how with these knowledge systems and how they can contribute to our resiliency and our ongoing ecologies and relationships moving forward. Absolutely. And what a testament to what a small little project years ago can lead to even today. Uh, it's just the power of one plant and one place and one story. Well!